Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to let you know about a few things going on around here. A lovely sale to benefit our frontline healthcare workers is still going strong. At the time of this recording, there are still beautiful options left for every single size in my inclusive range of 2 through 24. And you now have the option to shop by size and browse only the styles in stock in your size. Shop 40% off and I'll donate 19% of your purchase to get PPE to our frontline healthcare workers by using code LOVELYPPE at impactfashionnyc.com. On the site, you'll also find a whole range of activities you can do with or without the whole family, some of which are free, all of which are high fashion. Find those by going to the activities tab at impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Squits, and on today's show, I talk with a food personality and cookbook author about confidence and insecurities, why she doesn't do it all, and the most common question she got about her upcoming book. When Danielle Renoff talks, you believe her. She's got a conviction you just can't deny, and that's why I brought up one of my core theories with her. Together, we do a deep dive on insecurity and self-love that I think explains how she is so effortlessly generous. I have been on the receiving end of this, and it is true. We also talk about her upcoming book and some of the panic that set in the day it was supposed to launch. Oh, as a little kid. Well, my mother's probably better suited for that question. Um, But I was, I think, pretty similar to this, very loud. Um, very opinionated, uh, more creative and artistic than girly. Like I was definitely not um, a tomboy or anything like that, but I was not girly in the sense that like I sat and played with dolls and played mommy for hours. I much preferred like paint kits, easy bake ovens, um, craft set. Oh my gosh. The spinner art spinner where you like where you like dip the paint in and it spins. Like I could go, I could go through those toys, like, like tissues, like I loved that stuff. Um, I definitely liked to like play around in the kitchen. I spent a lot of time in the bathroom at the mirror, like creating, (laughs) I watched a lot of infomercials because I was always an early riser and full of energy. So my father used to just like sort of put on infomercials for me, which I loved. So I would mimic those and stand in front of the bathroom mirror and I would put conditioner in my hand. And you know how shampoo has this like pearly look to it? I would drip the shampoo into the conditioner and then I would stare in the mirror and be like, oh, and look at that. You can combine the shampoo with the mixture and you can mix it ever so gently. And you see that pearly swirl, how beautiful and gorgeous it is. <laughs> I would practice my infomercial skills. Um, and I was pretty independent. Uh, I'm an only girl. I only have brothers. I'm the oldest. So I was pretty good, I think, at keeping myself entertained and busy. Um, I was pretty good with my schoolwork. I think just like regular play dates. Uh, like I, we and her had a really happy childhood. That that sounds great. I love the infomercial thing because I used to do that with talk shows. 
Um, uh, like this was more in high school even, but as, as I was sewing and working, I would have talk shows playing on YouTube. And I just love like those stupid celebrity interviews. I love listening to those. I still do. And as I would listen to them, I would be like, I, here's how I would answer that question. And like in my head, I have the whole thing planned out. Like me and Jimmy yeah. Fallon are best friends. Like we, we have the whole thing all worked but out. Jimmy online. Fallon's my best friend. Well, so. we're, we're all in the same group. Didn't you know? <laughs> You're all coming over to my house after. He's a big foodie. I did know that actually. Yeah. So maybe he's more your friend than mine because I can't cook. No, we can all, we can, we can be the three best friends. It's true. You, you'll be the one who cooks. He'll be the funny one. And I'll be like the one who like enjoys all your company. Well, you'll dress us. Obviously. That's true. I guess so. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dress him, but I could dress you. I guess so. (laughs) It's true. You're right. You're right. It's true. Before we started recording, I was sharing with you one of my my theories that I have that you told me that you disagree with. That I wanna I wanna like talk this out with you. No, not the- that I disagree, just for me personally. Okay, so here's my theory, and I'll share it, and then we'll get into it. I um I have this theory that every we're all we all spend so much time thinking about what everyone else is doing, and we're all you know everyone has someone who they are. I'll use the word jealous just for simplicity's sake, but everyone has someone who they look at and they think, I want what she has. And either she doesn't, you know, maybe if I worked a little bit harder, I could get what she has. And maybe if I was a little bit better, I could get at, I could, I could be more like her. And I have this theory that the person that you're looking at being, if only I could be like her, she has someone who she's looking at. And so she has someone who makes her feel a little less than. And the person who she's looking at has someone else who she looks at who makes her feel a little bit less than. And my theory is, is that if we all were more open and honest about the, the struggles that we're having and the, um, and the conversations that we have in our own heads, then we could all just feel a little bit better about ourselves because we're all working through the same mess. And it was actually a big part of why I started this podcast so that we could all be... Um, all be open about what was going on in our heads. And you have a little bit of a different take on that. Okay. So I want to say that I'm sure a lot of people feel how you feel. And this is a question I have been asked before. And I know that it's hard for people to believe, but I can, I mean, I genuinely, I don't even, I don't want to say honestly or genuinely because it's of course, honestly and genuinely, but I really don't look at what other people do. I really, really, really don't care. But I want to qualify that by saying that has its plus and its minuses. Because on the plus side, nobody is, you know, no, I don't feel that insecurity when it comes to other people because I really am not looking at what they're doing because I really don't care. Um, And the plus side, it's that it really allows me to just do what I want to do. And my motivation is always my own because I really don't care what other people think. On the other hand, I really don't care what people think. And sometimes that's not really such a good thing because sometimes, you know, that is over like, let's say my marriage and, you know, really deep intimate relationships is an area that I've had to work on where you do have to, you know, you do have to wonder why somebody is maybe upset by your behavior or offended by your passionate response or why your opinion is something that bothers them. You know, on one hand, it's easy to say, I don't care how they feel. Well, for, for me, I don't care. This is my opinion. I don't care how you feel. But really caring about how somebody feels, taking that into consideration and taking in their opinion and, you know, sort of walking in their shoes a little bit makes you a more sensitive, more empathetic, more well-rounded person really 
Because when you are only looking through something through your own eyes, you're only looking at it through your own eyes. Your opinions are subjective and one-dimensional. But when you start to take in other people's opinions, experiences, ideas, sensitivities, feelings, and emotions, all of a sudden your opinions can become more well-rounded and can become more three-dimensional. Um, so so, so that, that's really how I, like, I really just, I don't have a specific person that I look to and say, I wish I was like that. I wish I was like that. There are times where let's say a role model or somebody like that does something that inspires me. And I'm like, that's an amazing quality. I love that. I love what they did there. I want to learn from it and be inspired from it. I, I never, I, I never see somebody's positives and feel less than, but I spent a really long time in my life learning to love and accept myself. Do you so, think that it's possible to, because it sounds like you're in a, in a really good place kind of with yourself, that it's like, this is who I am and, and this, is, this is what I bring to the table. Do you think that it would be possible to, to be in that spot? Do you think it would be possible to have that opinion if you didn't love and respect yourself? No, but so many things aren't possible when you don't love and respect yourself. Right. I so mean, how do you get to that place of, of love and respect so, for yourself. Oh my gosh. I mean, you need to ask a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> We're very pro therapy here. I'm not qualified necessarily to answer that in like a large scale, right? Because I'm actually not qualified for that. I can only tell you my own experiences was for many, many, many years, I would say probably once I was old enough to maybe like 12 or 13, when I first started experiencing insecurities in myself, I right away realized this wasn't good for me. I didn't like that feeling of not liking myself. I was a very, very um, introspective, deep thinker my whole life. And I would see people who, you know, when you're with a group of friends and one person says, I want Coke, I want Coke. One girl says, I want Sprite. Mm -hmm. And then, and then they're like, actually, I also want Sprite. Actually, I also want Sprite. That totally got to my skin, under my skin. I did not like that. And I remember, I, I, rem I actually can remember sitting in a restaurant where something like that happened. And I remember thinking, A, I never want to be like that. And B, how did they become that? Right. And, and I don't know, just my whole life, I always wanted to be my own person. And I always wanted my decisions to be my own and to feel good about my decisions. But you can't really feel good about the things coming out of your mouth. If you don't feel good about the things inside. Right. So it was a like a natural process for me. And I would say, and this is really probably taboo. And I'm sure a lot of women out there are not going to like it. But the reality is, it's not necessarily about a man. But getting married and having a partner, having a best friend, having whatever that person is for you, having another person that also believes in you and loves you for who you are and being in such a healthy, beautiful relationship is also a huge confidence builder. Right. And Why do you think people wouldn't like, like would get upset at you saying that? Right, because I think everybody thinks that you need to do everything on your own. But I don't think there's anything wrong in, like, it's not that my love for myself is dependent on his love for me. It's that his love for me 
taught me that I could love myself. Not completely 100%, but in the areas where it needed to, it did. Right. And yes. I, why do you think that most people feel like they have to do something, like they have to do it themselves? Because I, I happen to completely agree with what you're saying about, you know, having someone who is like, who having anyone who fully believes in you is a huge confidence booster. Like I know in my life, for the first portion of my life, that role was filled by my mom, who was always like the most supportive and always helping me do everything and giving me all the supplies that I needed. And like, I started this business literally out of her house when I was living there and and doing everything that goes on there. Um, that, you know, everything that has to happen still happens mostly in her house. Um, and then when I got married, that role, like my husband took over that role. My husband stepped into, you know, my mom is not the person who I, not my first person that I go to with any issue that I'm having. It's my husband. So that doesn't necessarily need to be, need to be, a, that role doesn't need to be a husband, but that role should still be filled but you're right. We all do feel like we have to be doing things on our own and that we should be independent. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. I'm also, now that I'm listening to you, like sort of mirror back what I said, I am wondering right. like, well, what about a woman that's divorced or what about a woman that never got married? Where I does that, she get that boost of I, confidence from? But I think it could come from any healthy from relationship, anyone. Right? You're right? From any, I think that I know personally, I have friends who give me that, who not, again, not to the same level as my husband, because he's always going to be in that top slot. But when I was single, my mom, it was like my mom and my friends. Um, I think that everyone- But I also want to say that, I also want to say that for me in my marriage, his extra boost of like, giving me the confidence to love myself was only even applicable because I already was in a place to love myself. Okay. Like I didn't start at zero when we got married. I didn't start from a place where I thought I was terrible and I thought I was ugly no, and I thought I was mean and I thought I was the worst and I didn't think I was worthy of love. I thought I was worthy of love when I got married and I, and I loved myself and I love my opinions and I love my character I would say he gave me more the confidence to be um upfront about how I love myself and to not feel and like in areas where let's say I wasn't secure like on a business end let's say okay because that's like a very neutral place if I would get on a call with like a huge CEO of a big food company I would be extremely insecure because I have no experience in that when I first started right Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like to sit in a conference meeting. I don't know what it's like to talk face-to-face -face with somebody who, a, who's not Jewish in a suit and tie who's asking me about numbers and analytics and things like that and giving them hard facts. That's a, that is definitely a source of insecurity for me because I don't, I'm not qualified. I wasn't qualified for that. But then I would talk it out with my husband or whoever that is for you, your friend, your parents, your partner, whatever. And he would say to me, no, of course you can do this. We're going to sit down, we're going to figure out the numbers before, and he helped me build the confidence that I needed to get on that phone call. But he wasn't starting at zero because I didn't think that I wasn't capable. I just didn't know I was capable. Like, I, I, I didn't know how to access that part of it necessarily on my own. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting because insecurity is always related to not loving yourself, but I don't think that they go hand, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I have areas in life where I'm insecure and yet I still love myself and I love my insecure. It's okay. Right. You're not supposed to be secure in every single thing. Right. But that also comes from a place of love because for, especially for yourself, because 
no, there is no perfect person and accepting yourself in, in your imperfections. And you know, you call them insecurity. I'm referring to them as imperfections, whatever it is that you're not good at that comes from a place of, I am still a valid person, even if I can't analyze analytics on my own, you know, exactly. even, even if I'm not the best cook, even if I'm not the best, whatever, um, that also comes from a place of deep love. It's okay. So this is the thing I'm not good at next. But I, right. So I also think when you do love yourself and you do think that you're worthy of loving yourself and that you are a confident person and that you accept yourself for your strengths and your weaknesses, then it's much easier to come to terms with your weaknesses because they're not all defining, right? You're not defined only by your weaknesses. You have this this list or this bag of, of strengths that you carry around, that you recognize. And it's much easier to carry the weaknesses when you recognize and know where your strengths are. Yeah, I don't think it's that simple though. There's actually been um, been scientific studies and I'm forgetting the name of the um, actual chemicals in the brain. I'll stick them in the show notes because I researched them afterwards. But okay. um, it, the, the chemical, when you see something happy, when you see something good, there's a chemical that's released in the brain. I'm pretty sure Serotonin. it's- Oh yeah. It's one of the two. Yeah. Um, that chemical, um, when you see something stressful, when you see something bad, the stress hormone is released. That's cortisol. I'm pretty sure. Um, cortisol chemically is 10 times stronger than serotonin or dopamine or whichever one it is. Just chemically, it is a stronger thing. So you have to see 10 good things to counteract one bad thing, which is why people get hung up on negative comments and that, and that kind of stuff. So I think in the same way, it's harder to you know, you can have 10 things about yourself that you're, that you feel really great about, you know, I am list all your 10 great things. And then you have this one thing that you're not good at. And that one thing can become all consuming. And that is really just a skill to isolate that, you know, no, we've got 10 things here and one thing there. I don't think it's isolating though. It's that I, I, I believe that every person I meet has more good things than, than negative things. I, I really do. You're like, probably right. Like, I, and, and I'm talking about external experiences aside, right? Like everybody has difficult things in their life, let's say financially, paychecks, um, relationship-wise, whatever. Internally, you as a human being, who you are in your heart, you are more good than bad. Every person is. I, I believe that. That's how, that's how God makes us. We're inherently good. So you have the capabilities to carry your weaknesses and your insecurities. You just have to find where your goodnesses are because they should outnumber your weaknesses. You should have what it takes to carry your insecurities. And if you don't, then maybe that's the work that needs to be done to loving yourself is figuring out all those parts of you that are worthy of love. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And at the same time, if you have something, you know, once you're able to, to kind of pin down, these are the things that I'm really good at. You give yourself license to not be great at a few things. Cause again, nobody's great at everything and giving yourself that space, um, can, can be a really powerful thing to just say like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to focus on those things that I can't accomplish. You mentioned before that. Or everyone... I'm going to ask for help in that area. Right. Yeah. That, that works also. You mentioned before that that everyone feels like, like they have to be doing it on their own. Um, and that's something that I think comes from 
personally, I feel like it comes from a place of it's like, you know, you were, you're the go-getter. You're always someone who's on the move. You're always someone who, you know, she's got a family and a business and, and all the things and she's juggling it all and work-life balance, rah, rah, good for her. What do you think, do you think that like our perceptions of the world would change drastically if we all just decided that we're going to take a collective deep breath and just kind of calm down? Maybe. I mean, I don't, I, I don't do it all on my own. I, I, I don't, I, like, I've never said there's no way I could accomplish what I accomplished by myself. A lot of people I think a lot of people would probably bring you as an example of someone who like has a large family and a thriving business and is always happy and wonderful. No, and Shem, I, I do, I, I do have all those things, but they're not a credit solely to me. I mean, first of all, I have a wonderful husband who is very hands-on and helps a lot and he does travel quite a bit. So I am alone here, but I, I have a lot of help. I have cleaning help. I have babysitting help. I have a wonderful network of friends who help. Um, I have supportive parents. I have supportive siblings. Like there is no illusion that I can get all of this done on my own. I just also, I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough to do everything myself. Like I told you most of my business questions on the, the backside that nobody really sees get directed at Ellie. You know, Ellie really dealt with the whole book, writing the cookbook. He had to, um, deal with all of that, the contract, everything. It's when you say writing the book, you mean everything aside from the actual recipes. Like, no, the... no, oh, no, no. I, I actually wrote the entire book, but getting to the point where you write the book requires a lot of like legal contract work and technical back and forth with publishing and editing and, you know, things like that. He did all of that for me. Um, and then even within the book itself, I want to say, like, I could not have done that myself. There's a food stylist there. There's a prop stylist there. There's a photographer there. And every, you know, that was a major question I got. Why would you hire a food stylist? Like, first of all, people don't even know what a food stylist and a prop stylist do. Food stylist cooks the food and plates the food and the prop stylist sets the scene. So one of the biggest questions I got was why would you hire a food stylist and a prop stylist? You cook the food every day. Why do you need somebody to cook the food for you? And why do you need somebody to set the scene? You always style your things. And when you look at the book, actually, you won't be able to tell that there was a prop stylist there because it will look exactly like my Instagram feed. But the way for me to accomplish having every picture look like what I wanted it to look like was to assemble a team and get help or it would have taken me a year to go through those pictures, you know, right. um, to keep the photo shoot moving. I had to be in every place at once, but the only way for me to be in every place at once is to assemble a team of people that I trust to help, um, to help really create my vision, to help produce my vision. Um, and the truth is, is that you know, I, I feel very accomplished, Baruch Hashem, you know, my home is a happy place, my business is thriving, um, there's so much good in my life, but to sit here for me and say, I do it all myself, wouldn't be, wouldn't be real, and, you know, I sort of feel like, why don't, why doesn't everybody see that I don't do it myself? Of course not, no, no nobody can do everything themselves. Well, I think there are plenty of people who are trying. I think that there are plenty of people who are trying either because they don't have the resources to hire the help they need or because they don't have the self-awareness to realize that they need to outsource some things. Um, and I think that those, that people who are trying desperately themselves 
are struggling, you know, to keep it, to keep all the balls in the air. And when they see someone who has all the balls in the air, they assume she must just be doing it better than I am, as opposed to thinking, you know, she's got, she's got help. She's got, she has some other, she has something else going for her. It's, I think that people's default is going to a place of, I must be doing it wrong. No. And also I'll tell you something else in regards to like resources, like let's say even with this current situation, I didn't have any help for nine weeks, zero, no help, nothing. And we should mention that we're recording this in the middle of Corona quarantine mess of all of that. Welcome to 2020, everybody. Please continue. (laughs) It wasn't difficult for me only because my priorities are always very clear. I had to step up and take care of my kids and take care of my house. And that means that I didn't post recipes. That means that my business took a backseat. And that means that my messages on Instagram, which is probably like my favorite thing to do and all my work is interact with people, um, had to take a backseat and really suffered. And for probably eight weeks, I was maybe answering 200 messages a day, which is really very little compared to what I normally do. Basically, when everything got overwhelming and I didn't have the resources to get the help I need, I very quickly reprioritized and figured out what needed to get done. And the thing that I think is a strength of mine is that whatever I couldn't get done, I felt okay about. I didn't feel guilty about. I didn't beat myself up over it. I didn't hate myself for not doing everything I normally do. I just said, okay, this is the situation. Today, I can't post new recipes. Today, I can't take pretty pictures. Today, I can't write the articles I need to write. Today, I can't interact with people the way I normally like to interact. Am I still awesome? Yeah, because that's okay. You know, we just, I think like so much of the time, the reason that we don't feel good about ourselves is because, you know, we're, we're creating this narrative in our head that doesn't need to be that way. Right. Cool. And also, listen, all of these things about like feeling good and feeling good about yourself and all of that, those are all things that happen only inside our own heads. You know, those are all things that only happen in, you know, in the space between our ears, as they say. When, how do you, is there something specific that you do to get yourself to that place? Is there something that you tell yourself? Is there something that you, um, that, like a, a grounding tool that you use? Is there, or is it just a personality thing? Are you just that way? So I'll tell you what I do suffer from. I suffer from imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is like where I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm done. I'm done. Everybody's going to figure out. I have no idea how to cook. I have no idea how to make a new recipe. And really it's funny because up until today is like, we're recording this in May and my book was supposed to come out May 15th. And because printing houses kept closing, the book kept going to print, the print house would close book went to print print test will close so finally now we found a print test please god please god that's not closing down it's going to be on sale july 31st and all of a sudden may 15th came the book was supposed to come out and obviously it was some sort of sentimental date to me because i've been thinking may 15th 2020 since may 2019 and all of a sudden i just like looked at ellie and i started crying and i'm like the book is horrible the book is awful it's terrible why would anybody write a book like this? I'm a hack. Everybody's going to get the book. They're going to open the book. They're not going to find a single recipe they like. Who was I to think that I could write a cookbook a year ago? I should have written a cookbook now. I'm such a better cook today than I was a year ago. I'm so much more creative today than I was a year ago. My recipes are so much better today than I was a year ago. That The book is awful. I hate the book. I never want to look at it. I never want to see it. I wish I could pull it off the shelves. 
and <laughs> I yep. actually I actually messaged my friend who recently came out with a cookbook also and I'm telling her all of this and she's like oh so I was waiting I was waiting for She was like, so it took me about five months to actually open my book and look through it because, because it is I, like, I guess there is some sort of deep insecurity that I'm not even so in touch with all the time inside of me where I just feel like, am I just like faking it every day? Like, is any of this real? How did all of this happen? Like, it, because in a way, you know, all of this, like the cooking information and the knowledge and the cooking courses and classes that I've taken over the years and the education that I've done to get myself where I am today, to be the cook I am today, to have the knowledge in cookery that I have today, it could all leave any second. And then what are you left with, you know? So I don't know. So you just have to tell yourself, like, I don't know. <laughs> you realize you're agreeing with my original theory now. No, but it's not about somebody else. But it's not, it's not about someone else. That's, that's like the one I that, that... I told you that I suffer from something, but not what you're saying. Right. No, you did. You did. You're right. It's not, you know, you're not looking at, at you see, the other person, if you want to, like, with all the air quotes around that, the other person that you're comparing yourself to is your past self, which is different. Like, Danielle 2019 is different from Danielle 2020. Like, that's, it's a different person. So that's who you're comparing yourself to. That's who you are that's 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 what you're looking what you're looking back at you're looking at the cookbook as danielle 2019 as danielle 2020 and as right. and like in your mind space of who was danielle 2019 to think that she could write a cookbook because danielle 2020 right. she's way better that's what you're doing <laughs> no really still buy the book i think danielle 2019 <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> no by the way can i just say i was fortunate enough to visit you in studio when you were making that book it is gorgeous. Like seriously, buy this cookbook and don't cook a thing. But it is stunning. The actual, <laughs> the actual styling of it. Um, and I had the opportunity to meet your food stylist and your prop stylist, and they are so fun, by the way. That was. I think that you can always tell when someone has had a good time creating something. I think that it's so apparent in the work. I know for a fact that my best-selling styles are the ones that just came naturally to me. Like the ones that I needed to like torture and get out and like finagle and all of those. Some things need, everything needs perfecting. And sometimes it'll take me, you know, 15 tries to get a collar to lay exactly right. But sometimes it's torture and sometimes it's a process. It's a really, it's not a great space to be in when you have to force creativity. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it just doesn't work. Like um, I had a, I had a patterning teacher and a draping teacher, a like when I first started out, who said, never fight with your fabric, it will always win. Like if it doesn't want to do what you're trying to make it do, then you have to change what you're trying to do. It's just not going to work. Um, and I do think that that really comes across in, in the book. It's stunning and it all looks freaking delicious. I really hope so. No, because really in a good moment, the truth is the book is a reflection of me. I think what that like sort of imposter syndrome or like that fear of like, is everybody going to hate it? Is nobody going to like it? I think it comes from a place where if you're a person that's growthful and that does love yourself, then every day you're working on yourself. Every day you're learning to love yourself more. Every day you're improving in one area. Every day you're getting better. Every day, every day you're a better person than you were the day before. I mean, 
not, I don't know, better. You're a more evolved person than you were the day before and certainly a year before. And um, I think for me that that, you know, that journey of like growthfulness of wanting to grow every day at the same time, also, you know, you could look back and say, I wish I knew this two years ago. I wish I knew this five years ago. I wish I knew this 10 years ago. But then you have to just say to yourself, okay, but I didn't. This is, that's who I was then. And this is who I am now. And that's what makes us really amazing as humans is that we do have the ability to grow. And you have to love yourself for that also, because the ability to grow and work on yourself and all those things, that's a, that's amazing. That's a unique ability that we have as people that no other animals or inanimate objects on this planet have. Right. And also, I mean, with, I think that it's also, it's not only the ability to grow, but it's that ability to be introspective. It's that ability to look back on past versions of ourselves and past work that we've done and say, you know, that I can do better now, but for where I was at, at that point, that was pretty good. For, you know, for, for me a year ago to put out that, th- these kinds of recipes, those kinds of dresses, whatever it is, then that's, you know, to get to the place of recognition where, yeah, that works for me. You know, that's something that, that that's something that, that I'm, I'm proud of putting out. That's something that I think is also really, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a place to get to. I want to talk a little bit more about the book. What made you want to, what made you want to put out a cookbook? No, I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't really, I, I, my original intention was to put out a cookbook. Then I started Instagram and whatever. I loved Instagram. And I was like, I love giving recipes away for free. I'm not very patient. I just like, I can't hold things in. I just want to give you the information. And I never started Instagram to be a business. I didn't care about the money. It was a hobby. I really just love sharing good food and good recipes. Um, and if I could, you know, maybe impact the kosher world in a way that the food got a little bit better or more interesting, that was like a really side bonus that could potentially happen. Um, so I really enjoyed doing that. And after like many, many times of, you know, like interactions with the arts roles and things like that, um, I realized that my a community at Peas Loving Carrots really wanted a cookbook. You know, it's not easy to search for recipes on Instagram. Um, it's really like on a website, it's just not always easy. People don't want to cook off their phones. They don't want to cook off their iPads. They don't always have access to printer or printer paper or ink. And they want something that they can open, which I was really out of touch with because I was thinking, why would anybody want a cookbook? Um, okay. And you have everything at your fingertips, but people really wanted a cookbook. And I said, I, you know, I've gained so much from my community. If this is a way I could give back, I will, which is why the book has over 350 recipes. Because, you know, if people were, if I was going to give back, I was going to give you everything. Um, It's just how I am. And I put everything I had into that book. I wanted, I was very, very concerned that, you know, you buy a cookbook, you spend $30, $40, you get the book and you only like 10, 12 recipes. And I felt a real social obligation that if I was asking you to go out and buy this book so you could have access to these recipes all the time, that you should get the biggest bang for your buck in this book. Um, I know that money is tight for a lot of people. I know that even just space in your house is difficult for a lot of people. And if I was adding to those two things, I needed to make sure that it was worth it for you. And the only way, I don't know each person individually. So the only way I could make sure that there was enough in there for you to like was to put everything in there. So there's literally, there's 
I mean, I, I'm really proud. I really am proud of it because I do think it's a book that can last forever, whether Danielle 2010 or 2019 or 2025 wrote the book. It is a timeless book. The book, you know, starts off with a really great chapter. Then it moves on to salads. And right at the beginning of the salads chapter is just 12 salad dressings because I know myself, really, I can make a salad. And I don't always want to make a salad and roast and chop and saute and do all that. Sometimes it's just about the dressing. And sometimes you just want to open up the book and just find the salad dressing recipe. So right away, I gave you 12 salad dressing recipes. Then I gave you vegetarian salads, then protein salads. Um, and then every chapter sort of after that is loaded. There's over 40 chicken recipes, over 40 meat recipes. And within the chicken and meat recipes, I'm actually very proud of this idea. I set up the chapters to go from weekday to holiday, meaning every chapter starts off with the cheapest recipes, the most practical, um, easy the most practical, easy, time-saving, and money-saving recipes, and then it moves on to more expensive recipes, to the most expensive recipes. Um, and I really, really thought about the usability in the book. Every recipe was written with the user in mind. Every recipe has substitution options, has freezer options. Anywhere I could give you notes and tips and tricks, I did. And you'll see some pages are a bit cluttered with text, but, and they would say, Danielle, you have to take something out. And I was like, no, I'm not. This, this is what they're paying for. This is the information that they should have. And I really worked really, really hard to make sure that when you go out and you spend the, whatever it is, you know, it's hard to say price because like it's very so much because of Amazon. But when you spend, let's say the 30 or so dollars to buy this book, it is, please God will be money well spent. You should not feel like you wasted your money or you're wasting valuable space on your bookshelf. Yeah. And as someone who doesn't really cook that much or really love cooking, buy it just because it's beautiful. Like, but I, I got it purely as a coffee book table and I'm, and I'm, as a coffee table book. And I'm not at all ashamed to admit that because it is stunning. Really, really a beautiful book. Aided in a coffee table style. There is a lot of unique, beautiful artwork in there. My graphic designer, Ariella Goldvicht, is incredibly talented. She's actually my good friend and my neighbor. Um, and she actually created my Peas, Love, and Carrots logo. Like, she's been on board with me from the beginning. Our visions are always in line. Um, and she's just incredibly talented. And when you go through the book, you will feel like peas loving carrots. Like if someone yeah, screenshots something and sends it to you, you'll know where it came from because it's so a part of what our whole community has created. It's very aesthetic. The artwork is light and fun, I think. Um, and I, I, I hope, I hope everybody likes it. I really do. Wow. This everyone definitely, like I said, it's a, it's a great coffee table book, get the book and don't cook from it. And you'll be in the same club as me. Um, no, no. Also cook from it. <laughs> also cook from it, but it, listen, I I never I never get cookbooks because I don't like I don't really cook. My my weekdays are just like very basic, like bread something, throw it in the oven, or like make a hamburger and whatever. Because it's just not like where my okay. happiness comes from. Book comes out because I I think that there's stuff in there. For you. I I'm really very don't. excited about that, and I know that it'll be delicious coming from you. So I am really really excited about that. If um, and I'm going to include a link in the show notes uh, for everyone to uh, go and pre-order the book. This will come out before July 31st. So um, definitely go get your hands on that. It is a stunning, stunning book and will definitely enhance your kitchen. Uh, Danielle, if someone wants to learn more about you, where can they go? You can go to my website, peasloveandcarrots.com, or you can go to Instagram, peasloveandcarrots. 
at Pewflop and Carrie. Fabulous. And the last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Danielle Renov, what does it mean to make an impact? I think that everybody can make an impact wherever they are and whatever platform they have, because whoever you are, the second you step foot outside your front door, you're surrounded by people. So you're making an impact all day, every day, no matter who you are. And the biggest impact you can make is probably just by being who you are. I think that the best way to teach our children and to, um, and to really teach anybody anything is to be an example and live according to your values and don't compromise on them and be kind and treat people how you would want to be treated. Amen. Thank you so much for coming on today, Danielle. I really appreciate it. For having me, Rusty. Thanks for listening. I tried to find that study that said dopamine is 10 times stronger than cortisol, and I couldn't, so I might have made that up, but I'm pretty sure I didn't. I'll keep an eye out for it and let you know if I find it. All of Danielle's links are in the show notes, along with an Amazon link to pre order the Peas Loving Carrots cookbook. You'll also find links to at home activities perfect for quarantine, some of which are free, all of which are high fashion. Impact Fashion is a line of size inclusive, modest fashion. Right now, you can get 40% off using code LOVELYPPE, and I'll donate 90% of your purchase to help get PPE to our frontline healthcare workers. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. To hear more episodes, be sure to subscribe. And also, leave a review. It'll make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.